This is Kelly O'Mara, Editor-in-Chief at Triathlete, and I wanted to intro you to our newest special pop-up podcast that will be coming into your feeds for the next eight weeks. Now, the voices may sound familiar. Steph Hansen from Wits Up and Phil Rancha from First Off the Bike will be talking about hot topics in the sport, the big issues, and welcoming guests to help them debate all the ins and outs of Tri. Their podcast, The Cool Down with Phil and Steph, will be coming to you in place of our regular interview podcast on Wednesdays for the next eight weeks. All you have to do is subscribe to our regular Triathlete Magazine feed on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, Phil and Steph have a great first episode here, introducing themselves and diving into the question of how the sport has changed over the years. And they have the always insightful Craig Alexander to help them. We hope you enjoy this limited run series podcast. Uh, the cool down is here. Steph Hansen and Phil Rockner talking things involving the world of triathlon. Brought to you by the most beautiful people at the The Triathlete magazine. Uh, lovely to have them on board and uh, supporting this one. Steph Hansen, well, welcome back to Triathlon, Connor. <laughs> Mate, how, how old are we that we may be the only ones who understand that reference? <laughs> Do you know, I mean, part, part of this is just me having my own jokes. Um, yeah, but <laughs> I'm, <laughs> nice I'm well to, aware. <laughs> <laughs> nice to have chats to you, though. Um, it's, it's full circle, you and I. Um, we might unpack that a little bit later on. Um, <laughs> transition line transgressions, which I'm sure <laughs> you have maybe carried or not. Hey, if you're listening for the first time, that's because this is the first episode of, uh, of The Cool Down. Uh, we're going to do a few of these over the next few weeks, a uh, little season, a little arc season for us with Triathlete Magazine. Really stoked to be uh, up and about with that lot. Um, Steph, you are coming out of a long-term relationship with uh, Wits Up, um, which was your flagship and uh, something that all, uh, I think, people really enjoy getting into. Um, again, I don't want any comment from you about what I got up to. Um mm-hmm. We may get to that. Talk us about uh, so life after Wits Up. How's it been? Uh, I mean, it, interesting. A roller coaster. I mean, think think of a few cliches, and I think uh, I've uh, I've nailed them. Um, it's yeah, it's been interesting. It was uh, someone said it best for me uh, that Wits Up kind of had hit its expiry date, and I, I feel like that's a nice way of putting it because I've been through all the emotions of feeling like I was quitting, feeling like I failed, you know, all, all those kind of things. Um, but it was just time uh, for for a multiple of reasons, and since then, I'm not I'm not on my next big passion um, adventure, but I'm just ticking things over and actually just trying to find, for want of a better term, just balance back in my life again. It's an interesting, we're going to get to balance in just a moment uh, that you say that, but um, it certainly was an adventure though, wasn't it? You kicked it off. And for those who might not have been in the era of um, the Witsuppians, um, it was a fantastic website um, and sending around, let me make sure I get this correct, um, you know, women in triathlon obviously was the central theme and you championed women in the sport of triathlon for a decade or for around about 10 years that you mm. drove that as the uh, as the chief um, with Suppy and it really was it was it a point like did you like turn it off it was like life support was it like that dramatic or was it just you know what you ring your web designer or your developer and just say you know what just flip the switch uh, it, 
it was pretty dramatic. I'm, I'm going to be honest um, because it was, um, like you say, flagship. But but for me, it definitely was my baby. It started off as a, a bit of a passion project, which I soon realized that I really wanted to sink my teeth into. And I gave it everything I had with the support of a lot of people who, help, who helped me along the way as well. Um, but, but quite honestly, and, and you and I have discussed this off air in multiple phone calls, um, it got to a point where my mental health was suffering again for so many reasons. Um, and wits up was the thing that I could control and it was the thing that had to give. Um, so it, it was rough, but it was an immediate release for me, um, and time for, to focus back on myself and my family again. So, yeah, but, I mean, the website's still there. I mean, I, I don't know. This is new to me. I don't know how to shut down a business. <laughs> I just had to do it. So I was just like, all right, bye. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing like a soapy, you know, like Bold and the Beautiful, you yeah. know, a bit of like, oh, no, what's up's in a coma, you know, yes. and then away you go. Like, I mean, yeah. with when I wrapped up first off the bike, it was kind of weird because it was a little bit of a different thing, but it was similar. Like you are giving away a decade. It brings a bigger picture or a bigger focus too, doesn't it, about how hard it is to make money in, mm. in triathlon and, and in the sport of triathlon. And, you know, we've seen such monumental movements forward with the way racing is. And we've actually got Craig Alexander, who's going to be our very first guest on on this podcast, and he's coming up and he's very excited. At least I hope he's excited. Yeah. Um, he's probably indifferent. Um, but the changing face is the same with media. Like in this country, mm. in Australia, and we know there's a ton of American listeners um, and people that are consumers from America, but in Australia there are no more magazines. that They're done. The, the sort of hard copy tactile mm. kind of magazine you pick up, that's that's done. There's nothing. There's no real presence. And Wits Up was kind of the flying the flag for the last thing that went down yeah i mean i had a lot of uh pro men reaching out saying when when are you going to uh start giving us a bit of a platform as well there's there's not much left um yeah, yeah like the the myriad of when are you going to produce mitts up came my way <laughs> which <laughs> yeah once yeah brilliant um <laughs> but yeah you're right it, it i mean You've seen you'd been in the in the industry a lot longer than what I had, so you like, you've even seen it go up and down more than me. But even in that decade that I was involved, um, slowly seeing those magazines of which I was an editor, uh, the editor of one of them, yes, shut down. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I left that magazine because I really wanted to put all my focus into Wits Up, and then a couple of years later that went. Um, not that I had anything to do with it, um, but has that wits up just shut down every every other media outlet out there that's that's the that's the facts mm. um but yeah it uh yeah i mean you want to say that things have evolved but then when you see things just yeah slowly shutting down it was a pretty sad place really it was i mean it's and the landscape's a moon it's the moon at the moment right like mm. try and get money out of anybody in covid in in this you know in this arrangement mm. um no good it's just it's and and the pros will tell you age groupers will i mean there was a time that golden period of uh you know triathlon where age groupers were picking up money and sponsorships yeah. and things like that and talk to any product manager now and it's like yeah, well you know it's all mm. sort of tightened but if you're running an online publication you've got to pay a wage 
and then you've got to pay more than a mm. wage because you've got people writing for you, you've got photographers, you've got all sorts of things going on. You try and setting up content creation, which is my most hated mm. of phrases. Um, <laughs> but it is, isn't it? You've got to feed the beast. How hard was it when you started? Like you started and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God, I've got people want more. I have to give them more. Yeah, I mean, I today I could not do what I used to do when I started. You know, you it would be... 16-hour days, like it was just crazy uh, the amount of work that goes into these kind of things, as you know. And I, I, people do not fully appreciate just how much work goes on behind the scenes. It, it, like you look at a race um, and I always think like the last the last people standing at a race other than the event crew have to pack down are the media people who are still plugging away, editing photos, doing video content, uploading all of that so that people can get information uh, as soon as humanly possible. Um, it, you know, it, it takes a toll after a while. Um, and then, like you say, to to earn money from it, I mean, we were we were a niche market in a niche sport. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it just um, – and, oh, to be honest, I just – well, to, to begin with, and certainly um, – you know, money's not a huge driving factor for me. It never has been. I don't think it ever will be, but it has certainly become more of a priority, especially since having my little mate, Frankie. Um, but for then every decision, especially during COVID, to be about money and having to be about money and being stressed about that, it just, it all just culminated in this kind of a breakdown. And I just, enough's enough. I need to you know, make money um, using the skills that I've garnered over the last 10 years um, and, yeah, think 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 about ourselves again, um, which unfortunately means that, you know, platforms such as WitsUp just can't exist like yeah. they used to. Um, they, they can't exist as a job. They can exist, I think, as a hobby, you know. And yeah. then if you make them a hobby, though, you, you don't get taken that seriously unless you've got mm. some uber following, you know. You're not some influencer who's playing Fortnite with 25 million kids watching you each day your <laughs> niche of a niche with you know a really you know you've got you dedicate a band of people who follow you but there's kind of a ceiling mm. to that you know you can't push into the millions and that you know there's some really interesting stuff coming out of the PTO at the moment around you know that sort of thing which I've been harping on for a decade and more mm. um you know about verification of courses and things like that but the yeah. move to be professional from that organization has been strong yeah, but, and um, sorry, and just speaking of the PTO, I look at what they're doing and they've, you know, got a billionaire behind them. How can I compete with that? You know, they, they've got the cash there sitting to sink into it and I know that we'll probably end up discussing um, this at some stage because I know how passionate you are about people coming into the sport with loads of money <laughs> and what's the longevity in that. But how can I compete with, with the PTO with that amount of backing? It's it just becomes a bit too hard. You can't, you, but you can't. Like you, mm. we we did it for years on first off the bike. We were just smart asses though. Like so, when I ran first off the bike, um, we were just Ew. smart ass. <laughs> what? <laughs> we were just in, so full of our own um, goodness. <laughs> I've got to be careful here. I'm trying to keep the language clean. Um, <laughs> we were so full of our own goodness that. Um, you know, we felt that everything, we were, we were pretty entitled. But the only way we felt we could compete with um, 
bigger publications or actually get ourselves known was to be that way um and that was mm. that that was it's kind of the you know when when you see bands forming and they've got on on stage personas and the front man's going to be awesome and the lead guitarist is going to be this hell man and the drum is going to be loose and but the bass player will be the nice one that everyone wants to like and you know mm. you build a persona around that and the, our persona was let's just be jerks and <laughs> nailed you it were, <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny that we're laughing now because you and I had a couple of really nice run-ins um, and not in a good way um, where, you know, we thought, again, and I'm going to put my hand up here and say, yes, jerk. Um, <laughs> if there was a hashtagging around at that point, you would have hashtagged me jerk. Um, <laughs> but it, but the competition was so tight for funds and for clicks and for all that kind of stuff that sometimes the persona seemed to fit the the time hmm. maybe, maybe. <laughs> um we did have a fun run in one time at the transition area i remember that too where you would i think i might have yelled at you i you know 100 percent what you're talking about and i was uh, yeah so yeah it was that i'm iron man melbourne the second year i think iron man melbourne yeah. was on um the first year i commentated it so i wouldn't have been counting bikes then yeah the first year i counted bikes though and, oh, smart, <laughs> and I flat out copied that idea from Kona and, and I mean, I don't know who started it, but I absolutely copied that idea from Kona and, but what I wanted to do it differently and what I wanted to do is again, because we were focusing on women within the sport, I wanted to break down and figure out, um, you know, let's do the bike count, how many women were on specific bikes. So it wasn't mm. just a generic, you know. 500 to Cervelo, 500, you know, what have you. And then I broke it down into age group as as well Um, because I I just wanted to see what the patterns um, were happening with women within our sport. And that was actually really valuable information to some of the sponsors as well. And we actually got really good feedback on it. Um, And then the next year you you did the bike count and thought that I had (laughs) stolen the idea from you. We've done it in Cairns, though. We've done it in Cairns, I think, the year. Oh, did we do the year previously? We did the bike weigh-in, too. Do you want to to see fun? Take scales to when the pros come to put their bike in and you watch how quick they get rid of water bottles. It's the funniest Uh, thing ever. Oh, was that the year that you got photos, too? You did a photo shoot booth type of thing as well, I think, from memory. We did a lot of that. We did a, yeah, I mean, again, we were just trying to sell properties, anything that would sell with a sponsor. And mm. you're right, bikes and numbers and lists. And I reckon, I reckon the beautiful people from Triathlete Magazine might have been behind a lot of the bike counts in Kona, um, getting stuff started or being involved in it as well, mm. um, which was fun. And and you know, it's I mean, that's what Kona is like. You know, the Kona bike checking. Did you ever do paparazzi there, where you just stand there waiting like some? Dog before the pros check in? I actually didn't because um, we would host a bike ride, which just sort of came up organically um, on that Friday morning. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that started because Kate Bevilacqua was out there not racing and I was relatively fit at that point in time. And we had just teed up to go for a ride and then a few others joined us and, you know, we went to the end of the Queen K a little bit further, I think. Um, and it was a beautiful time to be on the Queen K because there was not another, another single athlete out there. There was, a, you know, this 
bundle of nervous energy in town and we got to escape it for those few hours um, mm. on that day before race day. And for me, all of my work was kind of done. That was my opportunity to escape for a little bit and do my yeah. thing. Uh, so, so yeah, and like even I think that first year we ended up having Chrissy Wellington, Belinda Granger, Laura Siddle, like all of these <laughs> Pretty big names. We passed Dave Scott on the Queen K at one point. Just this yeah. bunch of women. It it was, yeah. That that's a pretty um a pretty incredible memory. But you know, anyway, just a bit of a name drop there in answer <laughs> to your question about bike counts. <laughs> it's well, and and I mean, so if if we could talk about so there's some of the sort of lower points, I guess, getting out of it, and it is hard. I mean, I you know I did the same thing a few years back and gave up first off the bike, and it sucked, and you know. Mm. But what was give us what was your highlight? What was your what was your aha moment? What was that light bulb moment? Talk to me about what for you. What was your greatest moment? Oh, greatest moment. Um, it's a uh, it's a good question. I mean, I think one that stands out. I'm not sure if it's my greatest moment, but it really stands out to me because it was when I really recognised that we were making a difference and holding other people accountable. And I've um. I feel like that's it's not necessarily what we always did. It was by holding other um, platforms, magazines, race organisers accountable for their actions as well. We really made them think about the decisions that they were making. Um, and it was Ironman Melbourne when um, the live feed cut off once Caroline Stephan crossed the line and they didn't capture the, the uh, second and third um, place getters. Yep. And Twitter went into this huge rant and I was getting tagged in every different tweet. Why aren't the women being shown? And it, it, it was a, it was a very simple error from the race organizers in that they had told the camera crew to finish filming after nine hours. So you and I both know that a sub nine hour, you know, is, is a solid effort in the women's field. Um, so to say, turn the cameras off after nine hours, assuming that the top three women will be across the line is a very naive statement. Uh, maybe not so much these days because women are smashing it in every race, but, um, particularly back then, you know, there's this whole sub nine club. It was, it was the real benchmark for women to get under that number. Um, and anyway, so I approached Ironman, told them it wasn't good enough. And I really liked the way that they handled it afterwards in that they, pulled together some footage that wasn't live and allowed us to post it the next day with an apology, um, which I did think was a, was great the way they handled it. But my whole thing was women shouldn't be an afterthought. They should be, you know, a beforethought and that should, mm. it should never have happened, uh, but it never happened again, at least in the Asia Pac region. Well, I mean, I was on Ironman Live that day. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, oh, yes. Um, with, I think, Welshie was alongside, I was alongside Welshie, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> uh, and when that feed shut off and there was only one woman in, we both looked at each other and just, he's just like, wow. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, yeah. and as you are 100% reporting, Twitter lit up with good reason because it's that, mm. that was a really, you know, that you can call BS on that and be probably pretty accurate with it. And as you're right, I man acknowledged it, but, boy, Whew, that was a time. That was a yeah. time, and and we also did notice too that you know you were getting a lot of um, traction in that, and and rightly so as the sort of champion of the you know women's triathlon, you should have. So mm. um, it was a good um, it was a good thing that you were there though to to spearhead that 
you know, it made sense. I think that's when you're right. It probably made real sense that Witsup was there. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, the way Ironman responded, the way that uh, social media responded, it, it really solidified that, yeah, we were we were legit. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> good, good times. What's, um, All right. what's, what was your best interview ever? The best interview. What was the one that you just do? Like, when you've clicked stop, you're like, oh, nailed it. I think um, it was my first interview with Jody Swallow at the time, now Jody Kunama, um, mm-hmm. and it was in, I think, Bahrain. I th- think it was Bahrain. Um, and I'd, I'd wanted to catch up with her for a long time. Um, she's she's very honest, very open, um, but I, di- I didn't really know her very well. And we sat down and we did this interview and the stuff that she told me, I just, I was blown away. And I just, it kind of gave me confidence that she trusted me. And I feel like that just flowed on to every other interview that I've ever, ever done. And I'm not talking finish line interviews because whatever, that's all the same, right? Mm -hmm. It's those those long form interviews, the podcast episodes, and it, it gave me confidence that this this is kind of my thing. Uh, the women trust me to be able to help tell their stories, uh, and her story was about uh, eat, eating disorders when she was younger, the system, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like um, yeah, psychological um, issues over time, and yeah, it really it really did solidify that I could help tell these very important stories that needed to be to be told and um the fact that she trusted me with that story I was absolutely blown away yeah and that's that's gold isn't it that's when mm. you um again you you sit there as a interviewer and sometimes it's hard it's hard to be impartial um mm. you know when you're watching someone like Sebastian Kinley like fly down the Queen K for example or a Chris Lieto who was on top of their game and you're just like Am I a fan? Am I a journal? I don't really know what to do mm. myself, you know, when you see that. And then you hear something like that from Jody um, Kanamara or, you know, someone discloses something and you're like, wow, didn't see that coming. Mm. Um, they're the good moments, aren't they? As a sports journalist, they're the good moments. I was listening to an NFL podcast um, earlier today and they were saying the same thing, that this result that they got on the last game, they just didn't see it coming and they're just going, we were in the stadium watching, just going, we didn't know what to be. You know, journalists, fans, you know, they were just blown away. And I think um, that's that's a really good thing. It's hard to be impartial, isn't it? it you're so right. And it's interesting because j- journalism in itself has evolved and changed over time as well, right? Back in the day, journalism was, it was very black and white, tell the story, get it done, pr- press print type of thing. But as as it has evolved over time in social media, we've we've got opportunities to to delve more into those kind of stories and um i felt i don't know how you felt but i certainly felt that i was making this shit up as i go um in that i could be whatever i wanted to be i you know wits yeah. up wasn't a purely news journalistic platform it it could be whatever i wanted it to be and that's what I loved is that I could I could allow it to go in different directions, um, but always knowing that the athletes trusted that I was never there to throw them under the bus. Um, yeah, and yeah, I don't know. It's uh, 
the long form interview, I think that is, I don't think, I know that is definitely where my, my passion lies for sure. And it's a good one too because you do get more out of it. Like even stuff like mm. this, which doesn't run more than really an hour, um, you still get a lot out of it. You, you know, it, you still you still sort of delve. You can ask questions. You can, you know, and no doubt Crow is in the hot seat now. Um, <laughs> send him some really hard ones. Um, but he, it, it's, and it was right. We were like saying with, with you know, you can choose your own adventure when you're a, be more agile as a smaller magazine. You know, the bigger magazines are they're doing a you know a brilliant job. And they're pivoting there and they and they learned that very quickly from the smaller mm. guys. They got onto it and now, you know, like it really is. Um, they're very, very adept at what they do and very good at what they do in, in identifying trends and going after them. Mm. Um, and it also requires, you know, some to the talent that you've got around you as well. You know, if you've got really good writers, mm. um, people who can make things come alive and people who can do the, the right thing at the right time with the right people. Um, the collaborations are great. And what we're seeing too, there's some really great collaborations going on as well. You know, Talbot Cox and a few other people out there doing good stuff and um, Corrupt in Australia is doing really good stuff. And, you know, so there's some really good stuff coming out of the sport because it's the most beautiful sport to, to capture. Mm. I mean, what's not to love? There's beautiful ocean, there's roads, there's running, there's, you know, human endurance, there's stories, there's, mm. there's a range of things you can capture. Um, it, it must be the most beautiful of things. So, um, yeah. but we are going to shift gears um, in just a minute and talk to the great man, uh, Craig Alexander. We'll take a short uh, segue and then we'll come back with the great man, Craig Alexander. This, uh, if you don't know, this is the cool down. That's what you're listening to by the beautiful Trifleet magazine. So, the cool down's first guest ever. Uh, is, well, you just go to the top shelf. That's all you do is you just head to the top. We went to Craig Alexander. Crowey, uh, welcome, buddy. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. It sounds like a race to the bottom rather than a race to the top, but happy to be happy to be getting an invite. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, uh, you are the, uh, the pros pro in my book still. There are some very close contenders in the world of triathlon at the moment. Um, it's been a... It's just, I mean, take COVID out and it's been a really fascinating year. Put COVID in and it's just sidestepped. How, how have you seen this year in terms of development, in terms of, you know, what you're seeing as, you know, the emergence of, of greatness from some of the uh, those pros like the, um, the, the Norwegians and, uh, of course, our lady from Bermuda. How are you seeing all this? Yeah, it's been an interesting, well, not just year, 18 months. And, you know, I think sometimes people pivot and change, organisations, sports change, other times change is forced upon them. And, you know, I kind of like some of the things we've seen. Uh, I didn't mind the tri-battle either. I think, you know, short of having other, I guess, um, big ticket item races on the calendar, that that was something that Jan's team put on. And, I mean, of course, it was... It was purpose-built for his sponsors and, and all of that. I, and I read all the reviews and it was very choreographed, but it was still entertaining. It was still two of the best athletes in the world going head-to-head. And, again, I just enjoy watching watching that kind of thing. So I enjoyed that and I was just like everyone else, you know, just enthralled with the Olympics, with, with Tokyo. I mean, we – I know you guys were the same. We were in heavy lockdown here, so it just it couldn't have come at a, a better time. Gave – the kids and I something to watch every day, and we were we were transfixed by all the events. And the triathlons didn't disappoint. I thought the men's and women's races were both just awesome. Mm. 
As an aside, though, Crowey, did you become an expert in sports you know nothing about? Like what I don't know about gymnastics, now I'm an expert, to be fair. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think it's one of the great things about the Olympics. You, you flick on and you see a sport, you, you know, you flick through all the channels and the options and you might not have seen a sport before or you might have heard of it but not, not watched it and an hour later you're calling the shots and, and telling the kids exactly what's going to happen. So, um, I'm now a skateboarder after the Olympics. Well, you know, you know what's interesting about the Olympics? You know, I mean, I think when I started in triathlon, the Olympics had just been accepted into the Olympic movement. Um, there was talk it was going to be in Sydney and then maybe kicked off the program or it might be a demonstration sport. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty. And, and triathlon was built on, um, I guess, a lot of other events. You know, six, six Olympic cycles on, it's, it's very well entrenched in the Olympic program. I think it's, for me, it's one of the best sports on the program. I look forward to it. But I was just interested watching the games, how, you know, some of the traditional Olympic sports and the way they were run through federations, they've seemed to have taken a back seat to, to sports that were, you know, frowned upon earlier that were run more like businesses like golf and tennis, surfing, skateboarding. They're the, they're the sports that are coming in and I think have really revitalized the program. And I, I loved watching the BMX with the kids skateboarding mm. was awesome i loved watching the surfing and how um you know the competition scoring was a little different to, to a few uh, other events they did and yeah i think those were awesome additions to the program and yeah i mean it's the old adage isn't it survive or die you've got to move with the times and you know the isc have have brought in sports that obviously have huge audiences and huge viewership and in the end it is based on money i mean they the isc base their whole model on TV rights deal, so they need they need a lot of eyeballs tuning in. Steph. Sorry, oh sorry, <laughs> sorry, mate. I thought I thought I'd lost you both. Then it just no. went completely blank. No, I was waiting for you to step in. That's okay. No, no, sorry. Um, and on the Olympics, Corey, I'm. I'm keen to get your thoughts on the, and I agree, the triathlon at the Olympics, men, women's, mixed relay, uh, para triathlon, all phenomenal. I mean, the Lauren Parker story mm. and She's getting amazing. to that, oh, my gosh, and getting, getting to that, the blue carpet, and we, I was screaming at the TV, and I can't remember the last time I was that invested um, sorry, not TV, laptop. I was probably laying in bed, I reckon, at the time it was on. Um, but And then seeing someone, um, and now I, I feel terrible because the athlete who beat her, I've her name's gone, seeing her get pipped at the post. And one of the things I love about Lauren Parker is um, she's very, she, she's pretty open and honest and she was gutted. And there was, there was no way of getting around that. Um, the emotions are high at the Olympics. I would love to get your thoughts on the inclusion of the mixed relay and 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 the heights of para triathlon at this year's Olympics. Last year, this year's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's why we love sport because of the theatre and the drama, and that's why we do get invested. Um, there's no sugarcoating. You train for an event as an athlete, and you know maybe you come up a little short in your own mind. Um, against your own expectations and it's very raw right in the heat of the, the moment immediately after the event. So 
I think that's why we all tune in for that drama and that's why we do get invested. Um, I, I thought the mixed relay was, was an awesome addition. I mean, mm. just showcased a different side to our sport, the tactical element. Um, it certainly opened a can of worms with <laughs> people talking about different selections and certain countries were selecting teams with the mixed relay in mind rather than the individual event. And, you know, in the end, that's, that's what the federations, that, that's their job, that their, you know, their mandate is to win medals. And mm. so they pick the teams that they think and the athletes that they think can best do that. Um, and whether that's focusing on the individual event or the mixed relay, it just, it brings another layer and another dimension to it, and, and I like it. I mean, the swimmers get uh, relay events um, to showcase their talents and, and the depth of a team and the depth of a nation, as do the runners. So, yeah, I, I love the inclusion. I thought it was great for our sport. It was just, yeah, just another sort of landmark moment, I think, in the growth and evolution of our sport, and I really loved the race, um, loved watching it, loved the tactics, and you know, you've got to take your hat off to the Brits. They have so much depth and consistency right now. Um, they put on a masterclass and were in such good form. Um, and the Paratri was awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm for all those events. I, I just, they're great athletes and they deserve um, that sort of stage and that sort of platform like an able-bodied athlete. And, um, yeah, I love all the stories that go just with, with all the events. And I don't really classify it as able body or, or paratry or anything. I just, I just respect and love all of them as athletes. You know, every athlete's got their own story and their own journey and, and overcoming their own obstacles. And, and I think that's why we buy in and that's why we have our favourite moments afterwards and um, it's why we look forward to the next major championship as well. It's interesting though, isn't it, that I almost felt that there was a real lack of um... – I feel like there's the the journey to get to the Olympics is a tough one. You know, as a athlete who's got to be federation orientated, you've got to go to you know events that might not buzz you or ring your bell. You know, while and, and while there's this proliferation of so many other events going on, you know, whether it be Super League as you mentioned, whether it's Collins Cup or you know other events that are going around, you've got to give up a lot to be an Olympian. Do you reckon it's at some point that's a bit of a turnoff? Like if you're you know, looking at the seventy point three world or the you know challenge world with their with their setup or you know Collins Cup or something, and then you're being asked to go and do federation. You want to look at both. It's it, it's a pretty hard road, isn't it, to to get to the games? Well, it can be, but it shouldn't be. I, I think the best administrators understand that they want to have their best athletes there, mm-hmm. and you make it happen. You don't exclude people, and I mean, and I guess yeah. Look, everyone's got a story to tell. You know about their own journey with their, with their national federation. And, you know, a lot of times I don't think the people in the positions of power have personal agendas, but they're trying to protect their own position as well because they're answering the people, the sports commission or whoever it is giving them the money. Um, and they want to see where that money's gone for the last few years and what athletes it's been invested in. And, and when you are taking government money, I think, I think the, the federation have a right to tell you what events they want you to go to, and they will. And hopefully, there's good open lines of communication, and they outline a clear strategy and plan for how they're going to qualify the maximum number of country spots for each championship. Um, that being said, I remember when I was, you know, in the height of my career in training, and 
you sort of had to make a decision. And the sport was different back then too. I mean, I I saw Hawaii and the Ironman. That's why I got into the sport. So that was my dream. And then I fell into the Formula One series, which I loved. And that took me over to the US. And I loved that circuit over there of, you know, big money, um, big media exposure, highly competitive Olympic distance races where you'd race all the people who raced on the ITU circuit. So you sort of could scratch all of those itches. That that circuit's no longer there anymore, and that's probably, again, a natural evolution of our sport. It makes sense to consolidate all the short course racing into one series, which now is the ITU series. And But I remember back then I was training with Hamish Carter and Bevan Doherty, who, who were obviously Olympic gold and silver medalists from Athens, and their federation did not have a problem with them doing the lifetime fitness races or high V in Des Moines or any of those races, but they were very clear with them what, what the pathway was and how selection was going to take place and the races that they had to be in their best form. And, you know, there'd be no favors. They had to perform in the selection races. And, but I, I just see that as common sense, you know, a, a good, well-organized federation wants their best athletes there and wants to work with them. So, I guess to answer your question, Phil, the, the calendar is getting more packed than ever, and that's not a bad thing. I think that presents more opportunities for more athletes. So you now have the Olympics, you have 70.3 circuit, you've got um, the Collins Cup and all that's going with that. They're talking about a pro tour that's going to fall in line under that of races that are slightly shorter, I think, than even half Ironman races. So um, you've got Ironman, you know, the whole Ironman, Circuit, Challenge, um, Super League, there's a lot to choose from and that presents a lot of opportunities for a lot of athletes. Um, but I still think, you know, that all sports need to have their marquee events and, you know, as fans of the sport, we want to watch on and know what events are the big ones and know what events that the best people, the best guys and girls are going to be at because you know, ultimately they're the ones that we want to watch. I, I, I want to take you back to Roman times <laughs> where you would and your pals would head down to the Colosseum and you'd watch a little bit of Lion V whoever work. Um, and it was good fun. Yeah. That was good fun. Now, let's fast forward. Big sports of the world, right? Golf, tennis, NBA, NFL, um, you know, baseball, I'm talking obviously the big American sports, EPL in the English Premier League, soccer or football, if you're from that way, all in an arena, all sit there, all in one spot. Fans don't have to do anything. I mean, they don't have to walk in golf, but, you know, that's just bad luck. But everything else, those big arena sports, is it's, it's compact, it's there, people love it, um, and it really has got a, um, a following. So we're seeing that now. Daytona is putting races on within um, racetracks and things like that. There's that move towards that. Where are we? Is it going to work? Um, and and is it something that, I mean, obviously we are inexorably growing closer to it because when you can control the environment, you get more people. And obviously right now controlling the environment is really important. But, um, you know, how have you seen those uh, Daytona-style races? Yeah, I guess they were a lot of the race organisers and race directors, their hand was forced because of COVID restrictions and limitations. And if they still wanted to put on events, they had to really try and control the environment. I think that was part of it, but I think a big part of it was the broadcast aspect as well. And that's the model that, that's the money model. You know, if you can package something up 
and take it to a wider audience, a TV audience. That's that's where money can come into a sport, and that's where it's it's profitable. So maybe that was driving a lot of it as well. I haven't I haven't minded it. I, I don't you know I'm, I'm not against change. I, I watched Daytona, the PTO Championship. Um, loved BG's commentary. <laughs> so good. Yeah, she's an, she's an awesome. I, I think she's awesome on the mic and. I just thought it was a great race. Um, I guess when the stadium's empty, maybe being there in person, it might have the, the acoustics and the sound. It might have been echoey. I, I don't know. On TV, it looked okay because I. I but I, I think you know a lot of those sports you mentioned. When you're there live, whether it be football, AFL, whatever, there's an atmosphere with the crowd. Um, you know, I've been to a few boxing boxing fight nights and. And that's part of the experience, the atmosphere. So, you know, maybe if they can fill the stadiums in, in non-COVID times, and um, I think the athletes would love that. Uh, I'm not sure what it would be like to watch. It's possibly better to watch it on the on the television. Um, I don't know. For me, the jury's still out on that. But I, I, did, I thought the how it was packaged up for broadcasting, I thought was good. I mean, I enjoyed it as a TV product. Uh, I enjoyed the racing. Um I guess, you know, the other sports you're talking about are a little bit different, but you know, I'm not against race directors, organisers, different private promotion and event companies trying different things to elevate our sport. I mean, you know, as they say, a rising tide floats all boats. I, I don't mind any of these um, sort of ideas. I, I didn't mind, you know, the indoor, the virtual races when they were on. Um, you know, I thought out of necessity that was a pretty good move. Whether that that style of racing, the sort of virtual racing, will kick off when real racing comes back, I don't know. Maybe maybe there is a place for it. Um, I guess the proof will be in the pudding in terms of popularity and um, really, and with the athletes as well, what what style of racing they really want to do. I, I imagine most triathletes would actually like to race real live races on real live race courses rather than. Virtual, but that being said, you know it's it's still a physical challenge. Uh, that that aspect of it's still the same. So um, I don't know, but it, it's it's. I agree with you. It has been interesting to watch the last eighteen months. Um, you know, necessity is the mother of all invention, as they say, and the pandemic put the brakes on a lot of things. And I think we saw all sports try and pivot and innovate and come up with different ideas. So I haven't a mind. I haven't minded that arena style of racing. For me, it was. You know, it has some potential for sure. And, you know, it was the first time around, even the Collins Cup, different format and at that uh, ex-bionosphere, it just looked like, I, I, thought, I thought it came up okay with a few more tweaks and maybe a slightly different format. I, I didn't mind it, the, the team style either. I thought that added another element to it. Although the, the European team is so strong, mm-hmm. I guess that took a lot of the um, unknown out of it. They were such a heavy favourite, but I, I didn't mind that sort of style and that format. I completely agree with you, Chloe. I, I think the opportunities that came out of the pandemic is something that we, we've all had to pounce on. Uh, if you don't try these things now, when, when do you? When do you pump the brakes on the traditional ways of presenting a sport and and give something else a crack? I totally agree that the arena style needs the crowd and unfortunately that couldn't happen mm. uh, during a pandemic but I'd be really keen to see what happens um, you know next year I guess 
Um, and I, but I think what people, I don't know, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I feel like people either want to sit in either camp, like the purist camp or the change. And I, I just think that these different styles of racing can coexist. Why not have a bunch of different races and then see what happens? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the proof will always be in the pudding, won't it? What mm. what gets gets some legs, gets some traction and, um, you know, what the audience wants, that'll ultimately decide. But I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I guess I am a purist in that I love some of the traditional um, races and the older races, but I'm all for the new as well. I mean, I think, I think the um, inclusion of triathlon in the Olympics was one of the best things that happened to our sport. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you've just got to move with the times and, um, yeah, pivot and innovate and the pandemic forced that. But I, I didn't mind a lot of the, the things we've, we've seen. But like you guys, it would be interesting to see whether we revert to the, the pre-pandemic status quo, I guess, or, or whether mm. some of these other things continue on. I think Steph's brought up a great point. You know, you're either a purist or you're not. And then there's a sit on the fence as kind of, yeah, they're a bit different as well, but I think you, you're right, Carl. You have to embrace everything, but at the same time, um, you know, are we we biting off more than we can chew? You know, I had um, someone I knew who was at Daytona was saying when they looked up at the stands and they were all empty. It was a pretty hollow sort of area, yeah. and yeah. they sort of mentioned too, could those stands ever be filled? It's never going to get hundred thousand people. You know, it's not like college football or anything like that that gets a hundred thousand people. Are people going to be wearing Fredino t-shirts, you know, and with Fredino flags and coming to? Are we, you know, can we get this sport to a spectator level? Because as good as the pros were and as amazing as the pros were, the driving force of anybody going to a triathlon is to do their own race, and then the pros are kind of like the, well, they're there and it's awesome to watch them. Mate, but, that's yeah, it, that that for me is the eternal question. I remember. Years ago, I got invited to Reebok's headquarters in Boston. And um, no, sorry, I was in Boston. And I, I, yeah, I went to Reebok's headquarters in Boston and then I had to go down to New York to do something for them. And I was speaking to their global head of marketing. And at the time, Reebok, I think, were the naming rights sponsor for the NHL and the NFL. And mm-hmm. I mean, you think of Reebok, you think they're a running shoe company. And you know, the global head of marketing was saying to me, you know, most of our sales, like 95% of our sales are to overweight football fans who don't do sport. Mm-hmm. They, they buy the merchandise, the jersey with the name on it. And that's a slightly different model to our sport because a lot of the people in, in our sport actually do it. Um, you know, the pros are maybe 1% of the sport. It's, it's a sport really that's based on participation so a lot of the people who watch the professionals race also actually participate in the event themselves or in the sport themselves. Um, mm. And that's their primary point of connection with the sport. But again, mate, I guess only time will tell. At the moment, we're a niche sport. Um, who knows? I mean, if if some of these companies can package the sport up well enough and, and get um, a larger audience and a larger following, it might get to that point where... You know, a lot of the people filling those stands and tuning in to watch are, are not triathletes themselves. They're just triathlon fans. Because I think at the moment, most triathlon mm-hmm. fans are actually triathletes as well. So, yeah. mm-hmm. so that's, that's, and I think that's what you're alluding to. That's the difference where, I mean, 
you know, you go to a baseball game in the US or, uh, you know, an AFL game, 80 or 90% of the crowd maybe might have never played the game. They're just lifelong fans of the sport, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's the point of differentiation. We're a sport where a lot of the people who are watching also participate. And like you say, Phil, that's first and foremost, they want to race and then they want to watch after that. So, you know, um, time will tell, though. Mm-hmm. I want to follow on from the the, the purist um, discussion, and this might be you know the elephant in the room in terms of uh, world championships and being a man with a few world champ titles under your belt. Kona, moving around the Ironman World Championships. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it's got some merit. I think it's got some merit. I mean, I don't know. I, I can see both sides of the argument. I love the race because it's the first triathlon I ever saw on television. I started looking for it each year where I knew it was on in October and I was a I was a 85, 90 kilo soccer player back in those days, but I just <laughs> knew about Hawaii. And then when Greg won, you know, I started reading more about it and, and, and for me that was my journey. I, I That's what I saw. I didn't see triathlon in the Olympics because it wasn't in the Olympics then. I saw... The Ironman in Hawaii, I saw the lava fields, the trade winds. Um, so that was, I guess, what lit a fire in me and I guess captured my attention and imagination. A lot of sports, they do rotate their their major championships and, and some sports don't. Wimbledon doesn't move from Wimbledon. The Masters doesn't move from Augusta. I sort of, I get that side of the argument as well. I mean, mm. um you know, there's that history and that tradition and that sort of elevates the whole thing even more exponentially for those for those events. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. For, I guess from my own perspective, Hawaii was the world championship, so I just thought, well, I have to be able to perform in those conditions. So I went and lived in saunas. I lived in those hot, humid climates. I was lucky that Sydney's like that. In summer, I'd train in the heat of the day. In the end, I think the great athletes will prepare for whatever condition um it's and it's interesting too you know because i i read something about the race in kona that they're saying it was a race you know kona's different to other ironmans because it favors the smaller guys because of the heat but <laughs> there's only two small guys who've won it patrick and welshie everyone else has been a giant peter reed <laughs> fredino i mean norman stadler i wouldn't like to run into him in a dark alley yeah <laughs> I mean, typically iron man is a it's a strong man's event. It's a, it's a, I mean, look at Christian. He's purpose-built for it. Um, I just think it's, it's, it's a strength event, as, as all triathlon events are, really. Um, mm. Of course, you need a lot of speed for the shorter of events. Uh, but I think what we see is that speed and, and the athletes who excel in the short course events, they're the ones who end up doing well in Kona. That seems to be the, the pathway. Um, but, again, to your point, mate, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't be look. So long as they always had a race in Hawaii, it'll always be a very special place for me. I have so many friends there now. I just love the place. Um, we've spent a lot of time there as a family. I've trained there a lot. I used to do training camps there. I know a lot of local people. Um, so I'll always want to go back, uh, mm. of course. But I think moving around has some merit. But you know, it's it's interesting when this question gets posed on different social media channels and forums. I, I, I go in and read because I want to 
I want to see what the overwhelming sort of feeling is. And my sense is that most people want it to stay. That's what attracted a, a lot of people to the sport, seeing that race in Hawaii. And even, you know, next year, the litmus test, you could have you mm. could have taken your spot in Utah or Kona. And from what I understand, 80 or 90% percent of people wanted to take the Kona slot in October. So um, mm. I'm not sure if those numbers that I read were accurate, but it wouldn't surprise me. And, yeah, but, again, you, I can see both sides to that argument. It's, um, sorry, guys. No, no, I was just going to – I'm completely on the fence myself. I, Kona, the history and the emotional ties to uh, having the Ironman World Championships in Kona, they're, they're strong. They're very, very strong. I'd be interested to see what the – I guess the next generation of athletes, um, age group athletes more specifically, think. Um how did they get into the sport? Did they did they get into the sport because they watched um, NBC coverage or whoever covers it these days? I'm not too sure. Yeah. Um, or you know, did they get into the sport through through the Olympics and have come up through you know those sort of channels? I I, I don't know. I'm I'm keen to hear your thoughts as well, Phil, because I'm sure uh, there'll be no fence sitting for you. <laughs> no, look, I I'm kind of with Crowy. I think. Look, there's a um, seventy point three has been moved. It's proven to work, but look, Kona's Kona, and I think the one jewel in the Ironman crown is Kona, and the one jewel in that is that it's the world title. And I think if you start tinkering with something that is clearly not broken, um, you you are flirting with danger, and, and you know I, I I would be loath to see it move. I think there are plenty of other opportunities around the sport now being created that Kona becomes and remains. Um, the world title. I think it's. I just think it's risky. It's a risky play, mm. um, even though they've had success uh, at seventy point three level with that. Um, but you know, obviously, um, there's the opportunity to move it around. And you know, Crowley's alluded to this as well. Is that it's money. It's it's who you know, cities hosting world championships. You know, local organising councils and, and governments paying money, et cetera, and so that also factors into Iron Man's thinking. I would think as a you know, it's not there to lose money; it's there to make it, and um, you know, mm. maybe that comes into it. Yeah, I mean, and you look at the the AFL, um, the grand final moving from the MCG, and I mean, well, all Victorian clubs were up in arms. I'm sure other other states are okay, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree with that too. Um, I mean, you mentioned tennis, Crowey, and Wimbledon being where it is, but that Wimbledon is is part of the um, uh, oh gosh, the Grand Slam. What? Let's have a let's have a Grand Slam of Ironman racing. Can you can you do three world world championships in a year? Do you think, Crowey? Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I think two maybe, but potentially yeah. you could have a a rolling two year Grand Slam. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could have a rolling two-year Grand Slam. I don't, I don't mind that idea. I mean, you both raise good points. I, I like what you said, Steph. I mean, if you're a 20 or 25-year-old right now, you've grown up watching triathlon in the Olympics because it's been mm. in 20, 21 years. So mm. that's maybe your introduction to the sport and that's your dream and you want to pursue that dream and then have a, have a short course career and then do what most short course athletes do, which is you know, go to half Ironman racing because I think the best half Ironman athletes are the best Olympic distance racers. And then once you've sort of scratched that itch, you might want to move up to Ironman as well. That seems to be the natural progression. So 
you might not have the emotional attachment to Kona. Um, but also like what Phil said too, I mean, <laughs> it's not broke. It's clearly not yeah. broke because most people seem to be up in arms when they talk about moving it. And I don't mind a little bit of history and tradition. I'm all for change. As I said, I'm all for change and innovation. But I, I don't mind. I think we can find a balance too with a bit of history and tradition. And that's what makes events special. I mean, I know I never got to race a lot of the great names, but knowing that I'd raced on the same course as them gave mm. me inspiration every year going there, um, you know. So, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't mind. I think the great sports all have some history and some tradition, but they all innovate as well. And I think it's about finding a balance. Um, at the moment, I think having the Ironman World Championships in Kona, I think works. Rotating the half Ironman or 70.3 worlds, I think that works. Obviously, the Olympics every four years and that rotates, that works. That's iconic and something that we all look forward to. So I think we're building out a nice sort of portfolio of, of events as a sport. Um, mm. When you throw in all the other events that you mentioned, Phil, with the Collins Cup and Super League, yeah, I, th I think the sport's really come of age and it's doing really well. Yeah, no, no lie there. I think you're doing it's 100. percent It's in its best shape it's been in a decade. Mm. And I think I think after, particularly after this pandemic, can you imagine being back in Kona? But going back there after not being there for quite some time, it'll be what two two years, almost sure. three years. Be three, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, that I mean that's going to be an emotional time there. I think it'll be awesome. It'll be huge. Mm. Yeah, it'll be like a big reunion. After uh, like a school reunion or or the like, um, although I never had a school reunion, we couldn't locate half the half the kids <laughs> ten years on. <laughs> Probably should have got a list from corrective services, but um, <laughs> I think I think next year in Kona will be awesome. Yeah, it'll be a, just a, a coming together of the sport. It's always a celebration, but when we haven't been there for a couple of years, and as you guys know, it's it's not just the race; it's the whole industry. The media, um, the companies, everybody gets together, and it's just it's a it's a celebration and an awesome atmosphere for the whole week. Yeah, yeah it's a cracker. Don't I don't dis uh, dislike it at all. <laughs> hey, one last one before we let you get on your merry way. Pre race interviews are the most <laughs> biggest waste of time in. in, in, in <laughs> How do you feel? How do you feel, Crowy? How do you feel? Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, have you prepared well? No, I've actually come here rubbish. Um, <laughs> What I did like is I did like how they stirred up. They stirred it up at uh, the Collins Cup, and there was a little bit of trash talk, and there was just, you know, what did you think of that? I mean, I, as someone who has hosted them, has interviewed pros prior to races, is the biggest waste of time in the world. What did you think? Yeah, I didn't mind it. I, I like what the Collins Cup are doing. I know they've brought in some people behind the scenes who used to work in the UFC and, and other big global sports, mm. where they're trying to build personalities and build stories. And I think that's what people want. You don't just want to turn up on race day. You, you want to be, be around for the whole journey, right? And, and I like the way they, they tried to build some rivalries. And, you know, traditionally everyone thinks a rivalry has to be disrespectful. Some of the best rivalries in sport aren't that. They're, mm. they're completely just white line fever. You cross, you get on the race course, and then it's, the gloves are off. Um, I used to love watching Roger and Rafa play. Um, and try and kill each other on court and then go on holiday together at the end of the season, you know. I thought yeah. that, for me, that's interesting. It's like, wow, what a dynamic that is. I mean, who pays for drinks? Who pays for dinner? Um, <laughs> but I, I didn't mind what 
what the PTO did around that and just trying to build some stories and build some rivalries, build, build a, a lot of rivalry between the different regions, like who is the powerhouse. Um, talking about a little bit of history, you know, of course the US used to dominate and then I think other countries like Australia and New Zealand had their turn and now it's, it's very uh, Europe-centric, I guess. They're dominating in all forms of racing. So, you know, I loved what the Collins Cup did around that. I think telling a few stories and trying to get people to come along for the ride and get invested in it. Um, I liked what they did by bringing in some old iconic athletes to, to you know, coach the teams. It's not as much, Those athletes don't need coaching, but it just adds a different element to it, doesn't it? Um, you know, so, yeah, I didn't mind it at all, Phil. I, I think it was something different and, like you say, you, you and I and you too, Steph, we've all been to enough press conferences that the same <laughs> the same questions get asked and, you know, someone who's nursing an injury, I'm not going to say it. No one who, you know, is in shape and believes they can win a world title is going to sit there and say they don't think they can win. And some of them are not even going to say they, they're there to win, but that's what they're thinking and you know that's what they're thinking. That's why they're there. So mm-hmm. a lot of it doesn't really need to be said. Um, but yeah, I, did, I didn't mind what the, what the PTO did. I, yeah, I mean, sport is entertainment ultimately, isn't it? And that's, that's exactly what we're talking about here. Even, even when you're racing for world championships or Olympic medals, it's still a business and it's the business of sports slash entertainment now. So I don't mind crafting all those stories. And when, when it gets too choreographed, that's when it turns me off. When it's too... Yeah. Um, orchestrated and it's got to be natural and authentic and that could be a real hatred or a real mutual respect but I I just this person is my nemesis and I I need to get over the top of them or whatever whatever it may be but it has to be real and authentic and I think if it's that then it almost the story tells itself that's so true it has to be authentic it's it's so clear when it is orchestrated and (laughs) bullshit and you don't yeah. buy into it and it's it's cr- it's cringeworthy um but some were great others i mean i've some of the stories i've heard where they they've tried to pit athletes against each other and it athletes have no idea where it's this story has come from yeah um but and, and i feel like that will evolve over time with the pto when they spending more time with athletes. Uh, like you say, they've pulled in um, experts from other sports and they're bringing in that knowledge. But there's also, um, you know, a lot of knowledge within the sport that they can draw upon to help build out these stories. And I feel like once those two really connect, that's when we'll really start to see some some, some great rivalries uh, come to head and, you know, some awesome stories. Yeah, for sure. And might I agree, once... If it's not real, if it's not authentic, the viewer, the audience can sniff it a mile away and it just, yeah. it's a turn off. So, yeah. and some of these things, they just don't happen overnight. I mean, I guess mm. as, as the Collins Cup grows two, three years in, you know, you can imagine if Europe dominate each year, then I think there really will be a sense of resentment with the international team and the US team. And, you know, you need a little bit of history and a little bit of water under the bridge often to build up these rivalries and, build up these stories so you know it's it's early days uh well we've just burned 40 minutes really quickly crowy as per usual it goes lightning fast talking to you mate um thank you so much for being part of the very first edition of uh the cool down uh we love everything that you say it always makes perfect sense 
you speak the truth, which is great. And uh, Steph, thank you too for your work this uh, this afternoon as well. Our very first show, mate. We got there, so well played to you too. It was. I did say to Craig before we went live. Um, it was. It was really nice to hear your voices. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that in a long time. We've been in lockdown too long, but ditto. Nice to hear your you guys as well. Nice to hear your voices. Thank you so much, guys. We'll be back with episode two next week of the Cool Down. Thank you very much to Triathlete Magazine for supporting us, you wonderful people. Get out there and get onto their website, and we'll catch you next week.